morning to everyone uh, on this, I'll be honest, kind of a little bit of a crazy, crazy day, uh, but a good day and a joyous day uh, nonetheless. So again, just thankful for the opportunity to, to be here and to preach the Word of God, um, and that is something that I don't take lightly. That is something that I love. I love that God has given us His Word, that we can study it and spend time uh, getting to know Him through His Word. And so, as Matt mentioned, uh, even just in his reading of the Psalm 16, that life is hard, and that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today as far as what James says from his epistle. So, before I begin, before I open my mouth to say anything, I just want to come to God in prayer. I know uh, Pat just prayed, but I desperately know I need his help, um, and we need his help. So let's pray. Dear God, you are a great and awesome God who has brought salvation to his people, who has saved them from the greatest enemy of sin and death and Satan. God, and so we, we are joyful. Uh, we rejoice in the fact of being brought, being reconciled, um, being at peace with God. And so even in the midst of life and difficulties and trials and suffering, God, we look to you and we turn to you. Um, and so as we, we look at the epistle of James today, I pray that you will speak your word. I pray that your word will shine forth, that I will step aside and that your word will, will be brought forth and be implanted on all of our minds as we seek to understand more of what it says. So we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So, I know a lot of us, specifically probably the women in the room, have something really, really precious uh, to them. Specifically, wives that are here. You have something that is really, really precious. It's on your ring finger um, of your left hand. It's your ring, right? It's, it's a diamond that is precious to you because of what it symbolizes. But also, it symbolizes something because it's a great precious jewel. And so as I was looking into this, I'm not engaged, not married, but looking into this, diamonds are special. Diamonds are precious because of what they are, right? So diamonds are pretty rare as far as jewels go, but even how they're made, and so diamonds obviously come from the earth. It takes tremendous amount of pressure, tremendous amount of heat, tremendous amount of time for diamonds to be formed. That's why they are rare. That's why, uh, for, for you husbands in the room, that's why they cost so much. Um, and so as we look at diamonds, and I was studying diamonds, they're formed at about 100 miles beneath the surface of the earth. So, right, it's not... They're not growing up on trees. It's not us, oh, here's a diamond tree, and you just pick it off. It's about 100 miles below the surface. As well, it's about 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit that it takes to really pressurize and cause these diamonds to form. And it, it, they say it, it's roughly 725,000 PSI for a diamond to actually be formed. As diamonds are just carbon, it takes tremendous amount of pressure and time 
for it to be formed, right? And again, as, as we look as you wives in the room, you husbands in the room, you, you see that. You see the value of the diamond. You're, you're willing to spend that much because it's precious. And that's usually the, the jewel that you use for, for wedding rings. But there's also another analogy you can use as far as time and pressure, and that's muscles. I know you're probably looking at me saying, why are you talking about muscles? Don't worry, I don't have a lot of muscles, as you can tell. But the idea is that in order to grow strong muscles, in order for you to be strong and be able to bench press and be able to deadlift, it takes time and pressure, right? It, it's not just gonna be like, I'm standing here one day, and then next Sunday, I'm gonna be 300 pounds of solid muscle, right? That, that's not how it works. It takes time. It takes going to the gym day in, day out to achieve the goal of getting these muscles, and it takes pressure. It takes lifting heavy weights consistently. It, it causes, okay, I'm going to start with 100 pounds bench press, hopefully over time, 150, 200, but that pressure is what tears your muscles, and it allows them to grow back and build back stronger. And so as we look at these two types of illustrations, I think it's helpful for us as we turn our attention to the epistle of James today in looking at trials, looking at suffering, looking at pain. Um, and so if you would open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're just going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. So it's just a couple of verses for us today, uh, but verses that really tell us about suffering. And before I begin, suffering is obviously something that we all face, right? We all want to have questions to it. We all want to know what is happening, why this is happening, what could be happening in us. And I think the Bible is actually full of passages and stories that tell us about suffering and about trials. And for me, I think this is one of the most clear, important passages about trials. So let's read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So just reading that verse, reading those couple verses, we are kind of confronted with a couple things, right? We see right off the bat the idea of trials, the idea of suffering, the idea of pain. And as I could go around this room and talk to every single one of you and say, what, what kind of trials and suffering have you faced? And I'm pretty sure we'd have many different experiences, many different trials that we have all faced in life, right? To, to face trials, to suffer is, in a sense, to be human. They, they say there's a few guarantees in life. We have death, taxes, and I think you could add to that the idea that you will face suffering, you will face trials in life. And so trials are in small and in big. Even getting ready for today, having everything set up, came in today getting things ready for kids downstairs, and the computer that we normally use is, is a bit slower, but I'm like 30 minutes beforehand to get this video for the kids set up, and of course it reboots and it has a bunch of different issues trying to get the video, and right before uh, 
I come up on stage. Debbie says, hey, we're having trouble with the computer. Can you come help? Nothing like to, right before you're about to speak, to get your blood flowing of, hey, I got to fix this for the kids downstairs. But trials can be something small like that, right? It can be, again, even as I was doing stuff around the house yesterday, I was clearing some cardboard boxes, and you all know how heavy a cardboard box can be, right? Somehow, I pulled something in my back yesterday, just pulling up a cardboard box, and I'm like, man, like, it was just a small cardboard box, and now I'm like limping like um, I'm an old man. So it could be something as small as that. It could be an appliance breaks down, right? A fridge breaks down. It's like, man, what am I going to do with, with these food items that I have? They're going to spoil. Maybe it's we're just all getting over Thanksgiving. Maybe it was a trial of, man, got the whole family together for Thanksgiving. Man, a whole bunch of stuff can happen. And so it could be something maybe small like that that we're going through. But also it can be bigger. And this is maybe the more delicate and sensitive issue, right? It could be the death of a loved one. It could be a sickness or a disease that maybe you thought as you were getting to retirement, you were getting to your golden, golden age years, things were going to be easier. You weren't going to have to work. You weren't going to have to have the grind of the nine to five. But when that happened, you were diagnosed with something, a sickness or a disease that kind of stopped you in your tracks. Or maybe it could be of a financial loss, of a losing of a job. It could be a whole number of things. And like I said, if, if I pulled everybody here, we would have many different hard sufferings in all shapes and forms. I was even aware of this uh, just this past week at church, uh, talking to some of you, but even people outside of church who really have been going through very difficult things, an incredible difficult disease um, that completely changed the way that this family operated, completely changed how they went about life, and just the yeah, inability of this person to be able to do what they had wanted to, what they expected to do, what, what they thought was going to happen in life. And so trials are difficult, right? Like, it's the connotation, it's suffering, it's pain, it's, it's trouble. And so as I am talking about this message here, I want maybe in the back of your mind, think, think about a trial that you have faced. Think about something in your life that you're like, man, maybe this was really hard, this is difficult. Or maybe right now you're going through something and you're like, wow, this is, this is hard. This is really difficult right now for me to, to face this. And you have questions of, why? What's going to happen? God, why would you do this? And so I want us to think about that as we focus our attention on the passage today in, in James. And so, like I said, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So we talked about what these trials are of a broad-reaching impact. But also in verse 3 it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so when we're reading scripture, we always want to look for, for key words, right? So beginning in verse 3, it says, for. So this is purpose. This is telling us what these trials do. So it says, for you know the testing of your faith. 
So trials bring about a testing to your faith. It brings about, um, another word is, it evaluates your faith. Or the word I, w- I was thinking, it reveals what's inside. It reveals truly what, what's at the heart of your faith. And so, just a couple months ago, um, I was in a basketball ministry on Thursday nights. I don't do it anymore. I help, help out here with the kids' club, partly because of what happened to me the last time I played. So I was playing, and you know how good I am at basketball, that the playing and my own teammate shoulders me right in the nose, breaks my nose, and if you were to look at me, I'd be looking straight, and my nose would be pointing to the windows because it was not straight. So I went and went to DeGraff Hospital, and they did an MRI, right? They, they looked at the structure of my nose. And I myself, not being a doctor, I'm like, it's probably broken by the way that it looks, but had an MRI done. Why? MRI reveals what's inside. It reveals what was going on with my nose bone, if that is actually a, a bone. It reveals what's inside. And so in the same way, <coughs> in, in the same way, trials reveal what's inside. Trials reveal what's inside. It says testing of your faith. Or what you could say, the testing of what's inside, what, what it is that you truly think, what it is that you truly believe in life, what is truly at the heart. Now, obviously, we, we can look and say, this is not what God had designed, right? This was never God's plan for difficult things to happen um, and trials in the perfect world as we go back to Genesis. So we understand the, the brokenness that because of sin, because of Satan, that we do have trials, we do have suffering and pain. But really, I, I think what trials do is it reveals a bunch of things about how we think, how we think about life, but more importantly, how we, how we think about God. And as we look at trials, I think one of the things it reveals very clearly to us is our weakness. It reveals, man, I, I am flesh and bone. I, I, I am maybe not prepared. I'm not maybe as strong as I, as I think. Maybe something happens like a broken nose or an appliance breaks or something more serious, and it becomes clear like, wow, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. But also, it, it, it could reveal our own pride. It reveals what's going on inside and makes you think, maybe, maybe I'm not as humble as I thought. Maybe I'm not as caring or as selfless as I thought because of what's going on and my response to that. And so, re- trials really reveal what's inside. It's maybe sometimes to be like, when, when things are going well and God seems to be blessing you, it's like, this is great. Like, it's easy to praise God. It's easy to thank him as you should, as we all should when, when life is going well. But I think sometimes in, in the midst of trials, it reveals where it is that your peace is. When, when things shake up and life doesn't go well and we suffer, it reveals truly where your peace is. And it reveals, man, is my peace in God, or was my peace in my finances? Was my peace in my health? Or maybe it reveals, maybe we have this idea of, of hope and joy, but 
when these trials come, it reveals maybe our hope and joy wasn't truly in God, wasn't truly in Christ, and that it's showing us it was maybe in something else. And so it, it, it shows us what, what we truly think and if we truly love Jesus. Like, does Jesus truly reign in our life that we truly believe that he is sovereign and good and in control? Or when something happens like this, does it reveal, man, you immediately question, you immediately start to think, God, where are you? Why have you done this? And so trials reveal something really inside of us that I don't think anything else can really show us. Uh, I don't think any blessing can really show us truly what's at the heart like suffering and trials can. And so as we continue reading on in, the, in these verses, it goes on in, in saying verse 4, and, this, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so as we get to the, the final verse here, he's kind of talking about, okay, verse 2, trials are going to happen. Trials um, are a test of your faith. But finally, we get to this last verse, and, and we see the, the purpose in suffering. We see the purpose in what God is doing in the midst of our suffering. And so first thing he mentions is that it produces steadfastness. Or another way to, to render that is perseverance or even to remain under something, right? And so um, to remain under is, again, I don't know why my mind goes to this. Again, you probably are thinking, what's this guy using so many workout analogies for? But let's say I wanted to get as buff as Matt, right? And so it's not going to happen by me standing here doing nothing. It's going to be, I'm going to need to work at it. I need to, to do something. And so I'm going to need to bench press. I'm going to need to learn how to do some of these workouts. I'm going to need to bicep curl. I'm going to need to squat. But you know what's going to happen if I use a three-pound weight to bench press? Probably nothing. Probably nothing's really going to change in my life. You're not going to be like, wow, look at how strong Mike is. You're going to be like, you, it still looks like you had too much Thanksgiving food and nothing's really changed. But what, what it calls us to do is to remain under. It, it causes us to remain under this pressure. So if I want to do it, I have to do the exercises right and correct. And so if I'm working out and I'm going to squat, this is not going to be enough. Right? Like it, that, that's, that right there isn't going to be enough to really build the muscles that I need to. And so I was debating if I'm going to try this or not. I don't want anything to happen. Hopefully, I'm good. But if you want to actually learn to squat, you got to do it right. And so let's see. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. I was hoping my pants wouldn't rip or anything like that. So I think they're good. I won't turn around to show you. But if you want to do it, you got to work out correctly. you got to remain under the weight and you've got to remain under the pressure to do that. And so you first need to remain. That, that's the purpose in the trial. But again, it's, it's not just remain just for the sake of remaining. It continues on so that it will have its full effect. And as I was reading and studying this passage, it's, 
it was interesting to me that these words are in there, that it will have its full effect. Now, I don't, I don't know about some of you, um, but when trials and, and difficulty and pain come into my life, I'm usually praying it away as fast as I can. I'm usually saying, okay, God, like, I've had this, now I want it done right now. I want it over and kaput, and I never want to deal with this again because, you know what, I've, I've had my time. But in the Word of God, it says, let it remain that it will have its full effect. So we see kind of the purpose is to remain under so that it has its full effect. But we finally get to the, the really meat of the purpose. And so it says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so if we read these verses correctly, we can understand kind of the progression of James in this. But as we get to this last verse, what exactly does it mean? What exactly does it mean that it's, we're going to be perfect? Is, does that mean like, hey, I'm never going to sin once I go under these trials? I'm, go, I'm, I'm going to be perfect. Like, if I go through this trial, perfection is right here. No, that, that's, that's not it. Is it some type of sinlessness that, okay, you go through these trials and you know what? Going to be without sin. Everything's just going to be perfect. No, that, that's really not what it is either. As we look at Scripture and um, as I was looking at Scripture this week, I came across a couple verses as purpose verses of, or goals for all the Christians, goals of, of what Christians are to be and who we are to become. And so one of the first verses I came across was Romans chapter 8. And so in here, Paul is talking about the work of salvation. And so he, he does a, an amazing job of going through all of Romans. And really what he's talking about here in verses 29 to 30 is the idea of salvation. Why has God saved us? What, what is God doing in the process of salvation? And so we, we get to Romans 29 that says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he justified, those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so you could have a whole sermon just on that, but really focusing on the point that God, in his purposeful desire and election, he said, you know what? I'm going to predestine these people to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Right? This, is, this is the goal for every single believer. This is the goal for every Christian, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. This happened in eternity past, and so we can look and say, okay, this was God's goal from day one. For every Christian here, this is God's goal, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. But what else? Maybe another verse can, can help shine some light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we look at not only just what happened in the past, but what is happening now and what, is, what our goal is. Looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, in which it says, And we, with all, all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory 
to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so what Paul's saying here in, in 2 Corinthians is currently, presently, God is shaping believers, God is shaping Christians from one degree of glory to another. It's what we would call the idea of, of sanctification, right? It's, it's growing in Christ-likeness. It's saying, hey, today I hope to be a better Christian, more like Jesus than I was yesterday. It's looking, hey, today I hope I'm a better Christian in a year from now that I am growing to be more like Christ in my life. So we see what God's plan was in salvation to make us like Jesus. We see presently how that's happening and being lived out day in, day in and day out. And, second, and, and thirdly, we look to the future. We look to 1 John chapter, chapter 3, verse 2, and it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, we'll, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall, she, we sh, we sh, we, yeah, because we shall see him and, and as he is. And so what he's talking about here is looking towards the future, looking towards the end of life, that when we see Jesus, that we will be shaped to be like him. And so at look, just looking briefly at, at these three verses, we can see, one, God was in the past. God desired us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. We can see currently that in 2 Corinthians 3, that it is shaping us daily in the process of sanctification to be more like Jesus. And we know in the future that our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus. And so I think as, as we come to the passage in, in James here, when it says the ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal for us is that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can understand this to be, to be made like Jesus. I, I think another way you, you could translate that would be, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be like Jesus. We might be mature. We might be growing in the process to be like our Savior, like our King Jesus. And so I think if we were all honest with ourselves and we were to match up our life and say, here's my life and here's the life of Jesus, we'd say, man, there's a lot of places that I come up short. There's a lot of places that I'm lacking as I look like Jesus. I could name them, and that'd be in a whole other hour, um, but we can look and say, man, I am not the image of Jesus that I should be. I know there's a lot of impurities. I know there's a lot of weaknesses in my life. And so we can see that that's the goal. But as I was going through this passage, there was one word that I didn't mention. It's a small little word. It's earlier on in the passage, uh, but it's, it's a word that is kind of difficult to, to hear and kind of shocking as, as we read this passage. It's a small little word. It's three letters, and it's joy. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet these trials. And I think we, we can come to the, the first part of my sermon, everything I've said, be like, you know what? Like, I, I can get behind that. Like, yeah, I know trials and suffering happen and they're working something in me. But when James says, count it as joy, to me, that's, whoa, okay, like, I'm up with you until that point, 
but when you're saying, be joyful in this suffering, how can that happen? How can I truly be joyful in the midst of incredible difficulty, immense suffering? How, how, how can I do this? Like, God, what are you after? Why did you throw this three-letter word in here? And I think as we look at joy, we, we can look and say, like, yeah, I, I, I have joy in my salvation. Like, I'm joyful and I rejoice in God that he's given me salvation. We can be joyful in the sense that we have community here, that, yeah, I, I'm not alone, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ in this room to encourage one another, to sharpen one another, so I can be joyful in that. For those of you who are married and have kids, like, you can rejoice and be joyful in your marriage and your kids, and you can say, hoorah, that, that's great. But what James is saying here is, you know what? In that column you might have of joys, consider trials in that column. Esteem trials that way, the same way you would esteem all those other joys that you would have. And so as I was looking at this, I think it's important to dive into what, what joy means. What is this joy that, that James talks about here? And just a definition that I kind of came up with, um, looking at James and studying Philippians, the, the letter of joy, I think Paul is talking about something really amazing. And just for a helpful definition for us is, joy is a peaceful satisfaction in a goal being accomplished. And so just to, to make that crystallize for all of us, like maybe you were thinking as, as a young kid, like, man, I would love one day to own my own business, to own my own company. And so you know what, like you go to school and you get good grades so you can go to the right college and go for business and you graduate and eventually you start your own company. It's like, wow, like, I've accomplished this. I've, I've, I've done what I've wanted to. That's great. Or maybe you're a little girl, or you were a little girl, and you were always like, man, I would love one day to have a family, to have children, to have a husband, to have all of this what I wanted. And so you, you grow up and um, you meet the right man and you marry them and eventually you have kids and it's a great blessing and you're like, man, I'm joyful because I have accomplished what I want. My, my goal has been met. And so as we turn our attention to the book of James, he's saying, what is our goal? What is our purpose in life? Our purpose is to be like Jesus. And so the way we can look at trials, the way we can view suffering is the fact that it is making us more like Jesus. It is, and, and so a question I have for you guys is, is that truly your goal in life? Do you truly desire to be like Jesus? Do you truly desire to embody Jesus Christ in your life? Do you truly desire to worship him above everything else? That he is awesome, he is amazing, he must be glorified, he must be magnified in my life. So you are joyous in the fact that trials come because it refines us. It shapes us more into the image of Jesus, far above anything else can do. Do you see Jesus as your purpose? I think that's when Paul is writing in, in the book of Philippians, how he can express joy. Paul was in prison. Paul was in chains. Paul was beaten. Paul was shipwrecked. Like, a bunch of trials that Paul faced, Paul says, I count it joy. I, I rejoice in the fact of what this has done 
because Christ is being glorified. He says early on in chapter 1 that I rejoice in my suffering, I rejoice in my persecution, I rejoice in my chains because of the fact that the gospel is able to go forth and people are emboldened to share their faith. He says, I rejoice in Jesus because of everything that has happened to me, because he is making me more like him. I am close to Jesus in my suffering, that Jesus suffered. And so Paul is saying, I am united with Jesus in my suffering. He saw Jesus as his greatest pursuit, as his greatest goal in life. And so as we look at becoming like Jesus, there's obviously multiple ways to do that. And maybe some, some good or positive ways, right? Like, you can read your Bible. If you want to be like Jesus, read your Bible. Get in your, get in your Bible and see who God says he is and spend time in his word. Another one is, you want to be like Jesus, pray. Spend time communicating with God, sharing what you're going through, sharing your anxieties, your worries, and listen to him. You want to be like Jesus, be in community. Be in community groups, be, in, um, be with other believers that we can hear and challenge and encourage one another. And those might be the, the positive, the, maybe the easier ones to do. But hopefully, as we glean from, from James, that we can say, do I want to be like Jesus? One way is to endure suffering like Jesus, is to understand that I want to be like that beautiful diamond, To be a shining bright light, to be that rare jewel for Jesus means it will take time and pressure and heat in order to refine off the impurities in us, in order to make us the way and the precious jewel that we are designed to be. And so as we turn to more application, um, there was one video I came across this year or this week that as I was thinking about trials and suffering, I think one of the most difficult things would be, would be to be paralyzed. And I came across a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata, and we have her video that we can take a look at. I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible though, was around the campfire on the beach of the Delaware shore with my sisters, my mom and dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he he really wasn't very personal. All that changed though, when I was a 14 year old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat. And I was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the 10 commandments. Well, I had never committed adultery or I don't think I I stole anything in a big way, but you know what, it it didn't matter. As I measured my life up against those commandments one by one by one, oh, I I got this overwhelming sense that I'm missing the mark. I'm not gonna make it. Oh God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend retreat. It hit me, that's why Jesus came He was the one who kept the commandments. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I I need you. I 
I, I, I want to make it out of Earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home from that weekend retreat all fired up, all pumped, all excited. But then um, through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe, and it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water, and I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I, I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital, and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile. They were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No. 
God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up, give me your smile, give me your strength, because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says He won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not gonna do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we were pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no, splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. So do we see Jesus like that? Do, do, do we look at Jesus and say, regardless of, of what's going on, no matter what I'm facing, what trial I'm, I'm going up against, that he may be glorified? that he may be magnified in my life as he is shaping me, refining me, strengthening me to, be look, to look like Jesus. I pray that for each and every one of us here tonight, here today, uh, that we might see trials not as the world sees them as negative and let's just, let's just get these things over with. Let's just be done. Let's just, as soon as I can, I want this done. But the way that God sees it is a refining fire a way to draw us and to make us look like Jesus. Let us pray. Dear God, um, I know the, the topic of, of suffering and difficulty um, is near and dear to, to all of us, something that we, we all have experienced, we are maybe currently experiencing, and we will experience in the future. And so I don't want to minimize uh, what, what is going on, the the hardness and the hardship that it brings about. God, but I pray as we read your word in James that we might look to trials and see them as a way to, to make us like you, that we will be joyful in trials, that we, we would see trials as a refining of us to, to be like Jesus. God, I pray ultimately that we will desire to see you magnified, we will desire to see you glorified and lifted up as the amazing King Jesus, as the amazing Savior 
And so, God, we, we ask that you will allow us to, to see suffering and trials in that way, that we might look at it as a way to be brought closer to you and to demonstrate to this dying world what truly the life of Jesus looks like in the midst of, of hardship and suffering. God, so be with those who are, are hurting. We ask that you will comfort the brokenhearted. Uh, be, bring peace to, to those who are battling anxieties and worries. Um, and God, I, I pray that you will bring hope. As it says in your word, God, that these light and momentary afflictions are, are bringing an eternal weight of glory. And so, God, we, we ask that you might be glorified in all that you do and how we act. In Jesus' name we pray.